Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I still can't believe we're on season four And I'm continuing to get introduced and meet such amazing heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. And today, I get the honor and privilege of introducing you to Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn. So Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm delighted that you wanted to be on the show. And I know we're going to be talking a lot about the work that you're doing. And I have some leadership questions for you and always... We end the show with the Fab Four, which our listenership really likes. So share with us a little bit of your story or bio so that our listeners get a little glimpse of who Cheryl is. Great. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, You know, I have one of those unexpected stories. I consider myself incredibly fortunate. Um, I began as an investigative journalist. I spent over 20 years um, writing all kinds of articles for everything from Barron's, which is a business magazine, to the New York Times, to Foreign Policy Magazine and the Stanford Social Innovation Review. And I now write for Harvard Business Review. So with that journalism background, I have ended up really learning about decision-making. And actually, it's out of my investigative stories at Barron's that I really started to think critically about who am I as a decision maker and how is it that I can make better decisions? Because when my stories were published, there'd be an outsized reaction. The stock exchange might halt the shares. Several companies went out of business. The regulators got involved. For one of the companies, one of the CEOs ended up going to jail for 10 years after a series of investigative articles. And I just started to think about, well, who am I as a decision maker? How do I know that I'm marshalling good evidence, that I'm telling stories that are both true and that should be told? And at the time, there was new research coming out that we all have these heuristics, these cognitive biases or mental mistakes that help us when we make many decisions given during a day, but that don't go away when we're solving for complex problems. And so I just thought about maybe I could put together a system to help control for encounter cognitive bias, to help us think about how do we expand our knowledge while improving our judgment. And that became my area method, which is an acronym for the steps of my decision-making system. Mm -hmm. And from there, I've written three books about decision-making, Problem Solved, which is about personal and professional decisions, investing in financial research, which is about financial and investment decisions. And my new book that we're going to focus on today, which just came out, which is called Problem Solver. And it's about the psychology of decision-making and problem-solving profiles. And so that's a little bit about my journey here. I use my books and my work in four ways. 
I create curriculum that I teach in mostly universities, both at Columbia Business School for a long time and now more recently at Cornell University and its technology campus here in New York. I also create professional development programs for companies around the world. I write books and articles and blah, and I have a blog and a podcast myself called The Power Solve Podcast. And then I do a series of coaching for individuals and for teams to help them improve how they work together. Well, it's exciting for me because my schooling is in neuroscience. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show. We could probably do a whole show just on deductive reasoning and, and deep dive into problem solving. So I think the listeners are really going to gain a lot of insight. And I love how you said your story took a different turn when really it seems like everything you were doing as an investigative journalist kind of led you to where you are today, which I think is just, it's magical. And sometimes again, it's that imperfect step that we think, hey, what if I go this way? Or what if I think about this? So I'm going to dig into my my leadership questions here and and just feel free to to share as much or as little as you want. And my first question is, you talked a little bit about how you became an expert in decision making, but no pun intended, when did you draw the line in the sand and finally decide and have that feeling, not just the thoughts, but the feeling that that was really the trajectory of where your career was going to move into? Oh, it wasn't that I knew my career was going to move in that direction, but I just recognized that journalism is very much about truth to power. And I do find that compelling. I like digging for facts. I like hearing people's story. But with the very outsized reaction that my stories had, I just really wanted to have greater confidence and conviction that I was prying open cognitive space to allow for new information and insight, that I had this way to sort of, to whatever extent that we can, make some of my mistakes before I make them, so that I wasn't ever writing a story that could cause somebody undue harm through a mistake that I made. And so it was really just trying to do a more ethical job at work and then from there, once I created this system, people started to ask me about, hey, I've got this project at work or I've got this big decision that I'm making with my family. Can you help me with this? And then I was invited to teach it first at the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism and then also at the business school. So it was really this idea of continuing to say yes and to try to help people who, like me, found themselves in a place where they thought, maybe I can be a better decision maker. And I, I think it's something that people struggle with at all different ages, at different junctures in their life. And it's such a great topic. Okay, my second question has permanent residency on the show. I've asked over 250 leaders this question, so I'm excited to hear what your answer is. What imperfections does Cheryl bring to her heart-centered leadership? Oh, I have so many imperfections. This actually gets at the research that we're going to be discussing from my new book. My new book, Problem Solver, discusses that there are five different ways that people tend to approach their decisions. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but my Problem Solver profile 
is that I'm a detective. Now, being a detective means that I'm somebody who likes to think that I'm rational, likes to think that I'm realistic and also practical, and I tend to really favor facts as data. And what that can mean is that I can overweight evidence and underweight people. Mm. And I find that I need to constantly remind myself that if we can't work well with others, we certainly can't solve any of the world's problems. And so when I find myself slipping into my detective perspective, which I find all too often, I need to remind myself that it's it's always first and foremost about the people. Absolutely. And, you know, you just made a very, very valid point. If If people can't get along... For me, I always love to frame that level of self-awareness as a leader. And and when we're in tune with our own self-awareness, it helps if you're in that detective mode like you were talking about, but always having that intrinsic approach regardless of what you're reading or reviewing or what you have to respond to. It's difficult for people. So I'm, I'm happy you've written another book on this. And it's probably been exciting and maybe a little bit of a placement. That's how I felt when I was writing my book. You're you're kind of living what you're writing so you can share from your own experience, which again is powerful. And it's such a link to our story and who we are and where we are in the present moment, which again, I think is, it's insightful and powerful. It is. And do you get lots of jokes about making decisions just as an aside from family and friends now that you're this expert on decision making? Mostly from my kids. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing more humbling <laughs> than being a parent, I think. Yes, indeed. Mom, make a decision. I, I can I can see it now. Okay, my third question is, why do we need to investigate or audit our own decision-making? Why is that so powerful, Cheryl? Well, when you think about it, it's really the only thing you're ever going to have control over in your entire life is your decisions. Mm-hmm. So if you recognize that, then it makes a lot of sense to invest in your decision-making because you'll have an easier time not only reaching your goals, but also your dreams. And you'll also have greater resiliency to be able to take on greater challenges. It is one of these things that has such tremendous leverage in it. So if you think about it, there's two kinds of learning, right? There's knowledge and skill. And I tend to think of decision-making as a skill, which means I can teach it to you. And then those skills can be yours. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And to see somebody recognize that they can earn those skills is such a wonderful thing to see. It's it's a light bulb moment, isn't it? Yes. When when we can control how we think about something, how we make that decision, it's powerful because we're controlling the response. Well, it's not it's actually not about control. It's actually about letting go. Mm. Because you're never going to know the future. Mm-hmm. And so you're not trying to control or decrease uncertainty. Well, what you can do is you can solve for ambiguity. Mm, I love that. And that means you can turn to your values. And when you made that decision in alignment with your value structure, and again, the problem solver profiles that we're going to get to are about what different people value in their decisions. 
when you make a decision that's aligned with your values, that often feels like a very satisfying decision. Absolutely. And and probably doesn't leave room for people to second guess why why they made that decision, which is also powerful. I think, you know, it, it may not lead them to necessarily why, um, in terms of what they question, it's going to, um, it's going to let them have a better sense of the bigger why of like, why is it that we are trying to navigate for this particular purpose? Absolutely. It's, it's the compass pointing to the North Star. I love that. Okay, my last leadership question is I want to talk about your book and I want to talk about the profile. So can you give us a little overview? And just for our, our listeners, we will put the link in the profile description below for the podcast so that people can go and buy your book. But give them a little insight to what they can expect and maybe maybe a little overview of the profiles just to pique some curiosity. So the new book is called Problem Solver, Maximizing Your Strengths to Make Better Decisions. And it is the new research that I'm introducing into the fact that there are sort of five dominant ways that people tend to approach their decisions. It provides you with a quiz that you can take to help you self-identify which one of the five profiles you are. And each of the profiles has some beautiful strengths in the way that they make decisions. And on the flip side, each of them has some blind spots, some key cognitive biases that tend to impede clear thinking. Since we think in the language, I gave each of them a fun name to help you remember them and to be able to also investigate them better. So they are the adventurer, the detective, the listener, the thinker, and the visionary. The adventurer is somebody who favors forward momentum, the future's endlessly more interesting than the present, and there's an underlying optimism bias to this. If they make a decision and it goes awry, well, guess what? They always have the next decision ahead to make. The detective is a more rational problem solver. As we discussed, this is somebody who favors facts and evidence. And this is somebody, therefore, who can fall prey to a confirmation bias and to look for data that confirms a favored hypothesis as opposed to looking for disconfirming evidence. The listener is a cooperative, collaborative decision maker. She views opinions from other people as data, and she is somebody who can fall prey to either a liking bias or a social proof. Liking bias is when we tend to overweight the opinions or thoughts of people who we find favor with. And Social proof is when we are trying to sort of fit in with the group. The thinker is our slowest decision maker. This is somebody who is thoughtful and relatively cautious in their decisions. For them, they tend to stay in the problem solving as opposed to the decision making. And they tend to fall prey to a relativity bias where they like to look at the options against each other, which means that they can frame a problem perhaps only in part or incorrectly. And then the fifth problem solver profiles the visionary. This is a big thinker, somebody who favors things that are original and creative. And therefore, they can fall prey to a scarcity bias or a saliency bias where they tend to overweight maybe one particular piece of data that they tend to favor and extrapolate onto it a greater sense of meaning 
or for scarcity bias, where they tend to overweight those things that are original as opposed to those more workaday or everyday things. Each of the profiles you can see are optimizing for different things. They tend to find different kinds of value in their decision-making, and none of them are proscriptive. So learning your prompt solver profile isn't going to tell you what you're going to do. It's going to show you your natural habits and patterns of behavior that are comfortable for you. So you can pick up this like handedness. Most of us either favor our left or our right hand. And everything that we do is most comfortable with that dominant hand. Mm-hmm. But we can still learn to be ambidextrous. With effort, you can learn and build your self-awareness about your strengths and your blind spots as a problem solver profile. And you can become more dynamic as a decision maker so that you can work better with your own decisions and also in concert with the other stakeholders involved in your decisions. Well, I can see just as you explain this, the excitement on your on your face and, and how you're expressing the five different profiles. And it must have been uh, a fun and, and in-depth experience for you to do it. So I look forward to sharing your book with our listeners. I think it's it's very much needed in this new world that we're continuing to navigate. Uh, one of the things that I, I love about this podcast is I've met some incredible guests and I'm already thinking about a guest that I had on from Australia, Dr. Juliet Bork. So I'm going to have to connect you to. Uh, she does quite a bit of work and research on inclusive leadership and talks a lot about cognitive bias. So I definitely want to put you two together. And I think she would be thrilled to, to learn of your book. And she's just finished her PhD. So as you're talking, it's like, oh, I feel like I'm talking to Juliet, who's doing different work in a different area of the world. So that's the fun part of podcast, though, right? Right. All right. I'm going to I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to ask you my my fab four. And I'm, I'm kind of laughing looking at the first question. I always ask our listeners to have some fun when they hear the response to this from my guests. If I asked you to de- describe your leadership leadership language, what's a word or phrase that would come top of mind to you that you use a lot? I think a lot about perspective taking. And that's something that's, that's in your leadership language that you love to talk about. Yeah, I really do. I, I think that, you know, we tend to think, for instance, that the way that we make decisions is the right way. And that everybody else, we can't understand why they make decisions differently. And now we have the opportunity to understand that. And I think what that allows is to no longer denigrate that somebody is hasty or somebody is slow, but instead to see that somebody is an adventurer who's interested in making sure that there's forward momentum or somebody is a thinker and they want to make sure that they understand the why And so keeping perspective taking uppermost in my mind is to continue to learn from my area method, which is a perspective taking decision making system. And to remember that all of these different approaches to decision making have wonderful value and provide different ways to look at and understand the problems that we're solving. Absolutely. And to sit in that observer's chair and look at which profile and and everybody brings something different depending on their profile. I love that. Is there a quote that you've read at any juncture in your life that has really 
stuck with you in your mind and in your heart and and what would it be and and tell us how it affected you so it's if you think you can or if you think you can't you're absolutely right i think it's attributed to henry ford my dad shared that with me when i was young a couple of years ago i was at a party with a mentalist i was in a group of a bunch of people surrounding this mentalist and he said write down something or a piece of paper. People wrote all sorts of things. And I don't know why, but this quote was the first thing that came to mind. And I wrote it down and I put it in my pocket. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you have a saying that sort of governs your life. And he said it to me perfectly. And I thought that that was interesting. I had never thought about it as something that governs my life. But this idea that you can think your way through things and that you can work well with other people, I think it's at the heart of what that quote actually means. Absolutely, and it's a great one. And it is at the heart. Hence why you're on this podcast today, Cheryl. Okay, my third question is kind of fun. I'm granting you a wish and you can have dinner with any leader of your choice. And for context, this leader can be living or maybe they've passed away. Who is the leader that you're having dinner with? And what is the dinner conversation? Well, I have no idea because I love books and history and philosophy. And I just don't know that I could really pick one. So I, I really don't know what the answer to that would be. I always feel like the next book that I read is the next great thinker that I am excited to learn from. So I, I really don't have, I don't have an answer. I see that the New York Times book review asks that question every weekend in their section, but I, I don't really have one particular writer that, that comes to mind. Is there a female leader who's leading the world right now who inspires you that you would love to meet or have dinner with? And who would that be? Well, I always thought Angela Merkel was very interesting and Golda Meinier as well. And I, and I think both of them have fascinating life lessons. And I think they're, they're very contemplative and try to be people here who um, are big tent so that they tend to try to make sure that many people have a seat at the table. I like that. Okay, my last question is a sentence that I'm going to ask you to finish. And before I do that, I just want to say I'm excited that you wanted to be on the podcast with me today. I'm very excited for you and your book and just the work that you've done with these profiles. I'm a big proponent in my coaching business around habits of thinking, which I think you deep dive in. And I love how everyone has a different observer's chair that they can sit in. And I think the work that you're doing is great and much needed in the world. So thank you for spending time with me today, Cheryl. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence to close out the show. Heart-centered leadership is inclusive leadership. 
Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com and watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, coming in September. 